What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Great Lakes Kids Apparel. That's right. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes for your little one to enjoy. Plus, Great Lakes Kids Apparel is a mom-owned business, so you know your kids will love these clothes. And Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers fast, free shipping on orders over $50, not to mention amazing customer service. So head over to GreatLakesKidsApparel.com or click the link in the show description and use promo code LOCKS to get 20% off your first order today. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to the Check the Locks podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. And I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into another truly terrifying true crime case. Olivia, before we get into the episode, as always, wonderful to see you. How are you? How was your week? I'm doing good. My week's been great. Ready for the weekend. Going on a big trip this weekend, so I'm excited about that. How are you doing? I'm good. You are always traveling. Where are you going to this time? You know, I have a busy summer this year, but I think I'm just trying to make up for the last two years, but I also have a lot going on, like with my friends and stuff getting married, but I'm going to the Grand Canyon and I'm doing a three-day rafting trip down the Colorado River. Have fun. That does not sound like my idea of a great time, so I hope you uh, have a wonderful time and send me pictures. I'd like to see it, but I don't know if I'd like to do it. Oh, it's so much fun, though. We did it last year, this group. Um, but we got emergently evacuated last year, so hopefully this year we get to stay the whole time, the weather cooperates, and there's no monsoons in the desert. Yeah, I say that I wouldn't like to do it, but it sounds like it would be pretty rad. Like, I think I would have to build myself up to it, and once I was there, I would enjoy it, but I think the idea of it is just like, not for me. Kind of like camping. I was like, not for me, but I had a pretty good time. 
Yeah, well, this might this will be tent camping, but we actually we set up the tents, but we don't sleep in them. We usually just sleep on the cots because you just sleep under the stars. Um, but the weather's usually pretty mild at night, so it's usually not too, too bad. But hopefully this year is just as fun as last year with a little less excitement at the end. Are the mosquitoes bad? Do you remember? Were they bad last year? So there's no bugs except for one campsite. They were like, there's going to be a ton of bugs. And we're like, okay. And they're like, but they're just going to fly over you. You're not going to, they're not going to land on you. They're not going to be around you. They're just going to be over you. So like when it gets dark, you're in the middle of the middle of nowhere, really. And I mean, we were in Canyonlands National Park, just down camping on the river. And so we had our headlamps for our lights. And so when we would look up with our headlamp, it would just be these massive swarms of bugs, but they were literally like just hovering over our head. It was the weirdest thing. And they didn't stay there all night. It was just like as the sun set and once the sun set, they were there when it was dark. But then after that, they were gone. So other than that, there was no bugs. That's crazy. See, I here's a little nerdy fact about me. Mm-hmm. I am super allergic to mosquitoes. So when I get mosquito bites, they like swell up extra bad. If I'm outside like at dusk and I don't have bug spray on, like the next day, my whole leg will just be swollen. It's bad. So that's why I'm... You know, little nerdy fact about me. You got my inhaler and I'm like, don't let the mosquitoes get me. (laughs) I mean, I'm allergic to everything but mosquitoes. Well, it sounds like you're going on a wonderful trip that could very well be the beginning of a true crime case. (laughs) So, you know, they have that podcast that's about murders in national parks or something. I haven't heard it. I've heard of it, but I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, my sister, I think, listened to an episode. I haven't listened to it because I think I learned about it last year when we were going on this trip. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think I need to really listen to that, being that we're in the middle of nowhere with just one satellite phone. So, Yeah, you're like, "Mm, I'll listen to that in my living room with a glass of wine, not before I'm about to live this story. Right. Right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful time. I hope that you stay safe. Sounds like it's going to be a blast, so I'm excited for you. I'm going to miss you while you're gone, but hoping that you have a great time. And speaking of true crime cases, it is your episode And I am super excited. I feel like, you know, we do the back and forth and stuff like that. But, you know, I spend so much time researching an episode and then presenting it. And sometimes it just feels like it's been a minute since I've heard yours when really it's only been like every other week. So I'm excited for it. I'm ready to hear it. I'm on the edge of my seat. What do you have for me and the listeners this week? I just have one quick question for you before we get started. You don't hear my voice in your head when you're trying to sleep at night because you listen to it so much. <laughs> I do. I hear it. <laughs> I hear it. I hear you going, you're old. You're <laughs> That's old. what I hear. <laughs> in my awful laugh. <laughs> okay, sorry, off topic. But back to our case. So this week, we're going to talk about the murder of Kelsey Barenth which I had never heard of this case. And one of our avid listeners and big supporters, Becky Knox, actually helped me this week with my research and, you know, kind of formulating our story and going through this case. So thank you to Becky Knox for helping us out. She's very involved in our Facebook group um, and tells everyone to listen to our podcast. So it was cool to work with her this week. Um, But this week is about Kelsey Barrett. And I kind of figured out why I'd never heard of this case. This case happened in Colorado and is kind of similar to the Chris Watts case. I am familiar with the Chris Watts case and it is heartbreaking. So if this is similar to that, I'm on board. I'm a little uh, nervous about what I'm going to be getting into because the Chris Watts case broke me. And if you're not familiar with the Chris Watts case, that might be one we could do down the line. But yeah, that one was like heartbreaking. So 
if it's along that same line, I'm a little on the edge of my seat to find out what we're looking at this week. As I was researching this case, um, I don't think it was as publicly known as the Chris Watts case because the media was denied access into the courtroom by the judge. So you weren't getting all the daily updates, watching the court scenes and everything. But it did remind me of it. And I think just because it was around the same time and then, you know, just the, how, the, how the story goes. But let's just jump right in. On December 8th, 2019, police were called to 269 East Lake Avenue for a welfare check after Cheryl Barrett reported her daughter Kelsey Barrett missing. She told police that she had reached out to Kelsey's fiancé, Patrick Frazee, who said he had not heard from Kelsey since November 25th. Kelsey and Patrick had a one-year-old child together who was in custody of Frazee at the time. Patrick had told police that he and Kelsey had grown apart and the extent of their relationship was solely based on their daughter. He said that he had recently dropped off the key to her apartment, her spare car key, a handgun and some ammunition, and some other belongings. I'm going to stop right here because I just posted a meme in the Facebook group that Mm -hmm. when the husband or the boyfriend gives their alibi, you're like, okay, okay, I don't believe you. So I'm not saying that he did it, but just initial impressions going through the case, I'm just going to throw it out there. I think he may be a shady dude, but (laughs) just put it out there. Go ahead. That's just speculation at this point. Just speculation. If not... Patrick Frazee, I apologize. If yes, you're a terrible human being, and I'm glad whatever happened to you happened to you. Okay, sorry. (laughs) And also, I want to just keep calling Patrick Swayze. It's so hard, because that's all that's in my mind. Police began to search for Kelsey. They contacted her supervisor at DOS Aviation, who said he last heard from Kelsey via text on November 25th, saying she was going out of town to check on her grandmother. Cheryl Barrett denied that Kelsey would go visit her grandmother who had Alzheimer's without notifying her family that she was going. Kelsey's father had not heard from her either. Cheryl, police, and DOS Aviation stayed in contact waiting for Kelsey to show back up to work, but she never did. In the meantime, Patrick Frazee was reportedly trying to obtain text message transcripts to see if they would provide any details of Kelsey's whereabouts. On December 3rd, Kelsey Barrett was officially listed as a missing person. Woodland Park Police began investigating. Patrick Frazee was questioned, and he reported to police that he and Kelsey last exchanged text messages on November 21st. He says that Kelsey told him that she wanted to go their separate ways. They supposedly discussed custody agreements for their daughter, and they agreed to a 50-50 arrangement. He reports that the last time he saw Kelsey was in the alleyway at her house on November 22nd. There's just red flags that are being thrown up to me here with this Frazee guy. Yeah, and so with this case, I'm telling a little bit different just because, you know, usually we have these cases where you have this massive crime and then we go through all the evidence and then how they, you know, find who did it. And this is more of like, okay, we have a missing person. What are the steps that were taken until we got some answers and the clues that we found along the way? It's definitely piquing my interest. He's looking for text message transcripts and just has so many clear answers to questions like the last time we texted was on this day. The last time I saw her was on this day. I gave her this, 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 and this. We were going to split custody 50% as an amicable agreement. It just seems like it's just a little too nicely wrapped. He reports that the last time he saw Kelsey was in the alleyway at her house on November 22nd. What's easy to kind of remember, I think, with timelines on this case and kind of how you were mentioning that he's already saying why I was with her and all the text messages is that November 22nd, 2018 was Thanksgiving Day. So then he's just playing in the days after Thanksgiving. Yeah, like I said, it just seems like things are a little too tidy. So like I said, I don't know for sure, but 
I have a hunch and I'm excited to see if my hunch is correct. Yeah. So he said that he last saw her on the 22nd, which was Thanksgiving, and he had picked up their daughter. Um, and then he reports that he spoke to Kelsey on the phone the following Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of that week. He told police that Kelsey had sent him a text message on Sunday saying, do you even love me? And then he claims that he went to write back that he still loved her, but then realized days later that the text message was never delivered. So once the police kind of heard his he said, she said story from Patrick, they decided to reach out to Verizon for the call records on their own and attempt to locate Kelsey's cell phone. So I think they're already beginning to think that, okay, he's saying that there was all this communication. Maybe the cell phone data will be the biggest player in this case. Yeah, which is interesting, too, because, you know, as cheesy as it may look on like TV or in the movies sometimes, I do believe that, you know, they can see what areas like your phone bounced off of kind of triangulate. Okay, this tower, this tower, this tower give you a rough estimate, which is pretty interesting that, you know, they have the ability to do that. I just don't think it's a as same as you know when you see it on tv when they're like ping her cell phone like where you know what i mean yeah and so like going through i kind of summarized it a little bit but going through the court documents of the cops stating like the records that they found it had all the call logs of phone numbers times of from his phone to her phone and all the pings from here because it plays a role um which we'll get into here next so kelsey's phone was last operational in gooding idaho at around five fifteen on november 25th the Woodland Park Police reached out to the Gooding Police and they reported that they had no contact with Kelsey in Gooding or any surrounding counties dating back to November 1st of 2018. So they went back all the way to the beginning of the month and there was no interaction with Kelsey being seen in Idaho. When I looked on a map to see where Kelsey basically worked, which was close to Colorado Springs and to Gooding, Idaho, it's a far distance. It is like middle to north Idaho all the way down to like mid-southern eastern Colorado. So there wasn't really any reason that she should be in Idaho at this point. So the police now obtain a search warrant for Kelsey's apartment on East Lake Avenue. Once in the residence, they noticed that there was a notebook with a bunch of passwords, her iPad, and a receipt from the Safeway grocery store that was dated and timed from November 22nd at 1224 p.m. Now, that's the last day that Patrick Frazee said that he saw her, he met with her, gave her her belongings on the 22nd, right? That was at Thanksgiving? Yes, and they exchanged with the child. Okay, gotcha. After finding the Safeway receipt, the police obtained surveillance footage, which showed Kelsey and her daughter entering the Safeway grocery store. Police then watched Kelsey and her daughter get into her red Chevy pickup truck and drive out the west end of the parking lot at about 1224. So flash forward to December 4th, the Woodland Park Police asked for assistance from the Colorado Bureau of Investigation as the details continued to grow. CBI began their investigation, again searching Kelsey's apartment, seizing both cars at Kelsey's home. At the time, there was a sock that was recovered from a car that was registered to both Kelsey and Patrick. It appeared to have a trace of blood that the canine indicated to the presence of human decomposition. Yeah, it's crazy what those dogs can smell. It's like, you know, if you're going to do something shady, you can't leave anything behind. And, you know, it just seems like it would be so hard to get away with something like that. So it's just nuts how good their noses are. Yeah, so this story, I'm just going to kind of jump through evidence as it comes to. So then cell phone records proved that the police finally got that the phone was located in Gooding, Idaho on 1125 and that there was an outgoing text message from Kelsey's phone that was sent to Patrick's phone. 
Gooding police went to the last location of Kelsey's phone, and they didn't locate her nor the phone and described it as a steep gorge. So basically the last ping from the cell phone that they could detect the, the coordinates to was basically nothing. So at the same time on December 4th, Patrick Frazee was met with the Colorado Bureau of Investigators who were performing a welfare check on the couple's one-year-old child. So I guess they thought at this point they'll just kind of go see how the child's doing, check in, make sure everything's okay, and I think to kind of spy on him a little bit. So at this time, Patrick was asked for further information regarding he and Kelsey's relationship, and he started to kind of answer the investigators, but then realized, I think I need an attorney here. So then they brought him in, they took his cell phone, and then he was asked questions with an attorney. Yeah, asking for an attorney is never a good look. When you're like, I mean, I talked to her. I gave her her stuff back. I loved her. I mean, we were going to do 50-50. I want an attorney. It's just never, it never right. looks good for you. Yeah. So Cheryl, who is Kelsey's mother, says that she accidentally called Kelsey's phone on November 25th, which would have been that Sunday. And in return, she received a text message saying, I'm tied up. Call you later. On December 6th, Cheryl and Kelsey's brother went to stay at Kelsey's residence while they continued to do their own search. Cheryl notified that while they were in the house, there appeared to be blood around the base of the toilet. At that time, CBI decides to show up their crime scene analysis show up and begin testing items in the bathroom and found evidence of blood on the bathroom floor, the side of the tub, the ceiling above the toilet, the wall with a towel rack, the base of the trash can, on the vanity, on the hinges of the cabinets and doors, and then on an outlet. So mom, sh- mom shows up and is just staying at her daughter's house while she continues to look for her daughter and then just happens to like look in the bathroom and be like, there's blood there. Yeah, and when they go in with that luminol and they can see where blood has been if it hasn't been cleaned properly, because I mm-hmm. believe you can do like bleach or ammonia or something on it and it will stop it from showing up on luminol. But if not, if you just like wipe it down or anything like that, you know, it's going to light up that room like a Christmas tree and it sounds like it was everywhere. Yeah, and there was another detail that I didn't think was super important, but the mom says that when she was at Kelsey's house last time that there was always a bathroom mat in the bathroom, and she said that she realized that there wasn't a bathroom mat, and so her and her son like looked all over the house looking for a bathroom mat that she remembers seeing, and they never could find it. So now we have some evidence of blood, so something obviously is happening now at Kelsey's house. So further details into the phone records show that Kelsey and Patrick's phone were both in the same area around Patrick's house up until November 23rd at 9.52 in the morning. So then this is where it kind of gets confusing with the cell phone pings. But ultimately, all throughout the day, there was evidence of movement of Kelsey's phone until about 9.20 p.m. when a call was attempted to Patrick's phone from Kelsey's phone that went straight to voicemail. And then it seems that at that time, Kelsey's phone was either turned off or it dies. And so there was a lot of different pings on the cell phones between uh, um, him and Kelsey appearing to be at the same location, Kelsey appearing to be a little bit further down the road, being back together. So it was just a lot of back and forth with the phone kind of moving, where you could tell that there's someone moving with the cell phone, but not exactly sure what their pattern is or what they're doing. Also, if they're that close, there's no reason that Frazee would be having to call Kelsey's cell phone because they're in the same vicinity as what it looks like. So again, you know, not 100% sure how this is going to end, but it seems like maybe somebody was like, I have to show that like, oh, I was trying to call her and getting voicemail and phone wasn't working and stuff like that. Yep. So I think I think this is what they're trying to do is like try to, you know, play tag and make it seem confusing or that she's still around. 
But also, on the following day, November 24th, there was multiple phone calls made from Frazee's phone to a number that later identified as Crystal Lee. Let's dive in and take a look at Kelsey and Patrick's past. So Kelsey was born September 15th, 1989. She moved to Colorado after meeting Patrick online. Kelsey worked at DOS Aviation in Pueblo, Colorado as a flight instructor and agricultural pilot. Patrick was self-employed as a farrier or someone who shoes horses. In 2017, Kelsey and Patrick welcomed a baby girl. They named her Kaylee. The couple engaged, but their relationship grew rocky around the time of Kelsey's disappearance. As I was looking to see details about who Patrick was growing up, because I find, as we always talk about, some sort of childhood trauma. What do these people go through to, you know, do these heinous crimes? Where, what, what is their background? But I couldn't find anything, you know, like that where he had some childhood trauma. But Kelsey's mother, Cheryl, recalls a story that she later told police of the day that Kaylee was born. Apparently, Patrick was not allowed in the delivery room. And so while Kelsey was giving birth, he was verbally abusive to the nursing staff and had to have like social services called on them and reported. And then she mentioned that when they were at Kaylee's first birthday, she recalls Patrick joking around saying that he should have, quote, killed the nurse that wouldn't let him in the room at Kaylee's birth. So these were just kind of two things that could have maybe just been coincidence. You know how people always just kind of joke around like, oh, I'm going to kill you. Um, But she remembers just like him being abusive to the nursing staff, saying that he should have killed the nurse that wouldn't let him in the delivery room. And just so just kind of some abusive, aggressive behavior that she remembered from him. Yeah. And, you know, being a man whose wife is given birth, you know, I was in the room, obviously. But if I wouldn't have been, I think I would have been more concerned and like worried about my wife and asking how she was doing than getting into like verbal altercations to the point where social services had to be called with like the nursing staff. I would just be like, is she okay? You know, right. Is the baby okay? That those are the questions I would be asking. I mean, obviously I would want to be in there, but it sounds like, he was kind of taking it to a, to an extreme level. Yeah. And I could see where like he was probably stern. Cause I know I get like overly protective. If like my family members at the doctor or in the hospital where I'm just like, no, you're going to tell me this is how it's going to go. I am that family member. I do apologize, but I mean, i just feel like I know how healthcare works. You just got to get the answers and down to the bottom, but I could see where he would be demanding of like, no, like I need to be in this room. It's important to see my daughter being born but then also coming about it as very aggressive. Yeah. So remember before I started talking about Kelsey and Patrick, I mentioned that he was making phone calls to a girl named Crystal Lee. Yes. And he's got a thing for K names. I've noticed. Yeah. Crystal Kelsey. It was kind of confusing. Yeah. So Crystal is a registered nurse in Idaho and the former girlfriend of Patrick. Um, And that said that they have known each other for over a decade, but they dated in 2016 and 2017. And again, this murder takes place in 2018. Getting back to the case, once police identify that the phone calls are coming from Crystal Lee, the police arrive at her house on December 20th with evidence of the cell phone tracings. And at that time, she agreed to cooperate with the police and she told them the entire story. Crystal admitted to the police that the murder of Kelsey was months in the making. She revealed that Frazee asked her several times to kill Kelsey. She said he asked her twice to beat her with a metal pipe and once to drug her coffee. At one point, Crystal posed as a new neighbor and brought coffee to Kelsey but chickened out. 
Crystal revealed that Frazee went to Kelsey's home on Thanksgiving Day in the afternoon to exchange custody of the child. A neighbor's surveillance camera showed a person matching Frazee's description entering Kelsey's home at about 124. Crystal said that after entering the home, Frazee blindfolded Kelsey and asked her to smell a candle that he purchased. Once she was blindfolded, Frazee beat Kelsey to death with a baseball bat. He took Kelsey's body, stuffed her in a plastic tote, and placed her in the back of his pickup truck. Frazee contacted Crystal and asked her to drive to Colorado to clean up the crime scene. So again, just to remember, Crystal's located in Idaho. This whole story is coming from Crystal herself. So Crystal agrees and brings her own cleaning supplies from Idaho to Colorado and begins to clean up the crime scene at Kelsey's house. She noticed that his blows were so forceful that she found a tooth while she was cleaning. It took her hours to clean the apartment and there was blood on everything, including baby Kaylee's items. Investigators believe that the baby was in the home as her mother was being beaten to death by her father. Oh, Jesus. Crystal later testified that she purposefully left blood evidence on several items so that investigators would find it later. After Crystal cleaned up the home, she and Frazee were caught on surveillance video eating at Sonic with a plastic tote in the bed of the truck. So hold up. They loaded her into a plastic tote and then went to Sonic and were eating with her in the back of the car? Mm -hmm. That is absolutely horrific. That is like straight monster stuff. That's like nightmare fuel. Yeah, and this is Crystal saying what happened. Like, she's agreeing to this. She's telling the whole story. She's been caught, and so she's telling the whole thing for a plea deal. She's saying that she didn't do it. She just helped clean up. So it's mm-hmm. it reminds me a little bit of the Michigan Thrill Kill. It was I think it was episode three that we did, where it was Alex Leckman who was, you know, he cleaned everything up and then went to the police and, like, this is what happened. And, yeah. And you know, he ended up getting a deal. So I'm wondering if the same thing is going to happen here. Yeah, well, we'll just have to see. Let's keep going. They took the plastic tote and other items from the home that could not be cleaned and brought it to Frazee's farm and set it on fire. So if we go back to other items that could not be cleaned, could be this bath mat that mom noticed that wasn't in the bathroom. Crystal reported that when Frazee was burning Kelsey's body that his mother was standing on the deck of the home overlooking the area where the burn pile was located. Several days after Thanksgiving, Crystal returned home to Idaho with Kelsey's phone. She used the phone several times to text Kelsey's mother and her employer to try to throw them off. So she was driving with Kelsey's phone and her phone. Did investigators ever figure out that they were pinging from the same area since both the phones were together? Once I think they realized who Crystal was and then seeing where the pings were coming from, because earlier I had mentioned that there was so many different loops where this phone was going from here to there to there. This whole time it was Crystal with Kelsey's phone. So it's as Crystal's moving around, the cell phones are pinging. So then what I think really hones in on investigators is that Kelsey's phone was pinging from the same cell towers as Crystal when she returned back to Idaho. Right, because once you know about Crystal, then you can ping Crystal's phone and see how closely that matches to Kelsey's. So I'm sure it was like, oh, both your phones were here. Both your phones were there. You know, you're texting. Kelsey is texting her mother why both of these phones are in the exact same area. I'm sure that's enough to be like, we know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And so at this time, now that Crystal has spilled the beans, a warrant is issued to search Patrick Frazee's home, which ultimately belonged to his mother. So I thought this was kind of a interesting thing. So Frazee was living on his mom's property. Crystal says that the mom was watching as the burn pile was happening. And then someone had sent in a screenshot from Patrick's mother's Facebook 
Apparently, she had posted like a picture of Glinda the Good Witch from The Wizard of Oz, and under it, she had typed saying, in quotes, yay, the witch is dead. And this was on November 22nd. So awful. So terrible. Once inside Frazee's home, detectives found multiple bags of adult molars in several rooms of the house, which I think is interesting. One, because Crystal mentions that she thought that Kelsey was hit so hard with the baseball bat that her teeth flew out. And then to find adult molars in Frazee's home. And then they also mentioned that when they found out about the burn pile, they found a tooth fragment in the burn pile that we'll talk about later. Also in his house was a handwritten letter in Patrick's handwriting, and it was dated December 12th, 2018. And basically this letter was giving his mother the permission to care for his daughter Kaylee in his absence. So kind of like his own living will, if something happens to me, take care of my daughter. Right. If somehow I get busted for what I did, you're the one to take care of her. Yeah. And why all of a sudden do that on December 12th? Right. If you didn't do anything, why are you planning for that now? Finally, on December 21st, police arrest Patrick Frazee for the murder of his ex-fiancee and mother of his child, Kelsey Barrett. He was also charged with solicitation of first-degree murder. Ultimately, Crystal accepted a plea deal in exchange for her testimony against Frazee. She pled guilty to one count of tampering with physical evidence. Crystal was taken back to all the crime scenes and pointed to detectives evidence that was not prior seen or known. And they say that without her testimony, they really wouldn't have had a case and that Frazee might have gotten away with it. Yeah, because she is the one who was like, this is what happened. If she would have remained tight lipped and just been like, I don't know, even with the cell phone pings, I don't know if that would be enough to definitively say, like, you did this. They may suspect it, but it doesn't seem like there's enough proof for them to say you definitely did this. I think what happened is she was like, okay, like, yeah, I did do this. They know that I did it. There's no sense in lying about it. Let me just tell what happened. I think even though she knew a lot of the details, I don't think she knew all the details because ultimately she wasn't present when Kelsey was murdered. Yeah, I'm just wondering if maybe her conscience got to her. And because of that, it was the nail in his coffin. You know what I mean? Yeah, so Crystal was sentenced to three years in prison, which was later overturned, and she was resentenced to 18 months in prison. Which I have some thoughts about that. I feel like when I was initially reading, they were saying that three years was was too much for the crime that she was charged with, which was basically just tampering with physical evidence. But I think knowing all the details that she knew and the communication that she had and the role she played with the cell phones and having Kelsey's phone and going back and forth and cleaning up a crime scene murder, I feel like tampering with physical evidence isn't a strong enough charge. Well, and she also admitted to the fact that murdering Kelsey is something that they had discussed and that Frazee had been planning for months beforehand. And that she had attempted to try to murder her once when she posed as a new neighbor and brought her coffee that had poison in it. Well, she chickened out, though, didn't she? Like, she didn't yeah, actually... she did, but I mean, like, she's ultimately a, a part of the whole thing, even though she didn't commit oh, yeah. the murder herself. I think she should have gotten more time is what I'm ultimately getting at. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think it's weird because I think where it gets a little murky is like, you can't charge someone for thinking about committing a crime. You can charge them once they commit the crime and then you have to charge them based on the crime that they actually committed. But to me, you know, if I was a district attorney, I would try to go towards like a conspirator 
type of situation where like you knew it was going to happen. You were a co-conspirer in this. You didn't make any attempt to stop it. I'm going to try to get, you know, 18 months is a slap on the wrist for what you did. As for Frazee, he was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and three counts of solicitation of first-degree murder in the disappearance and murder of Kelsey Barrett. Frazee was ultimately found guilty of felony first-degree murder, tampering with a deceased human body, a violent crime causing death, and violent crime using a weapon. He was sentenced to life without parole, plus 156 years. And he's currently serving in the Colorado State Penitentiary. As for Kelsey Barrett, she was last seen publicly on surveillance footage at the Safeway on November 22, 2018. To date, her remains have not been found. There's some speculation that Crystal didn't know if her body was actually burned on the property and that she had told police at one point that he could have potentially dumped her body in the Midway landfill in El Paso County. So there's question on if he just burned the tote and all the belongings that were, you know, collected during the cleanup or if they kept Kelsey's body actually in the tote and burned the tote as well. Yeah, because you did say they did find a tooth fragment in the burn pit as well. But also, you know, if you're hitting somebody that hard that their teeth are coming out, like if it's a T-shirt or clothing or anything in that tote that could have caused that tooth to be on a piece of clothing or something like that. That's very similar to the whole like making a murderer thing where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, in the burn pit and it's just hard to find evidence. You know what I mean? I find this case interesting in a sense that there's no body. And I find that when you watch and hear about a lot of these murders, that it's always like when we have a body, when we have the weapon, when we have this, then we can prove it. And so I think that I, I wonder if over time, as this case maybe gets more media coverage or more people find out about it, you know, as true crime case things come out, if they will ultimately try to appeal this case and, you know, say if there's no body, we don't have a case, even though there's so much evidence and a witness testimony, basically, besides witnessing the act of murder. I just wonder what may have come to this later on, you know, because we We have a lot of these cases where, say, they took place in 2000, and then in 2010, they're reevaluating these cases, and they're going to the Supreme Court and appealing and all this stuff. So I'm interested to see if anything like that comes, you know, in the next coming years. Yeah, I think this one might be hard to do that because there's enough evidence that isn't circumstantial, like with the blood, with the teeth fragments, finding a bag of adult molars in somebody's home. Yeah, I mean, everything adds up. Everything adds up. You just don't have a body. Yeah. Now, if it was just the cell phone pings, I think that could be pretty easy for, you know, a decent attorney to be like, you don't have anything. You know, I don't know if it ever would have even been tried at that point. But I feel like luckily Crystal was willing to flip the way that she did, whether it be conscious or Mm self-preservation. She flipped gave the police everything that they needed and then kind of led them to where they could find the evidence they needed to make sure that he was put away. So, Oh, and there's news clippings. Like you can watch videos and I wish we could, you know, share some of those things, but there's videos of her with the police and she's wearing a police jacket where they have her in Kelsey's home and she is pointing out on the walls and everywhere where like the blood splatter was and how many you know, feet from this, there was blood. And I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy that we can see that and like watch that footage. 
I don't think Crystal has anything to lie about. I think her guilty conscience got to her. And I think ultimately she helped Kelsey's family get justice, even though she was part of the crime. Yeah. And I would want to know like why, if you're not happy in your relationship, if your marriage isn't working out, like get divorced. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you lose half of your stuff, but you don't get sentenced to prison for 156 years. Which after last week's episode, that doesn't sound like anything. I mean, that's not right. Close it was four hundred and four hundred and eight. But yeah, it, th- those things throw me for a loop. But it's like, okay, you were engaged to this woman enough that you loved her. You had your first and only child with this woman. No matter if you don't like that person, you as a decent human should always respect your child's mother or father. And I just think that's just how it should be when you're raising a child. I can't speak on that personally, but I feel like, you know, if you went through a divorce, you would respect Millie's mother, a.k.a. your wife. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, like, I just feel like you commit to someone so much that you should have those respect. And, like, why, what is so bad that you have to go in and murder, murder her? Just move away. Go to, like, California. Move away. Move to Idaho if you wanted to be with Crystal. Like, Leave them alone. It'll all ultimately work out. Yeah, I just don't understand. You know, I have friends who have gone through messy divorces and have gone through, you know, like custody hearings and all that stuff. And like, it sucks, but that's just what you do. At the end of the day, it works out typically for everybody. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I just, I don't understand what would drive somebody. I think it comes down to that person just being a monster underneath. And we talked a little bit about that last week, the idea that like, Somebody seems normal, but really, like, secretly, they're just, you know, festering inside waiting to do something crazy. So this this was a really good one. I was on the edge of my seat as, as we went through it. And I hope that things come out, you know, as time goes on, as he has psychological evaluations and, you know, they really get to the rhyme and reason. Or as he, you know, as he spends time in prison, you know, I feel like things come out about these murderers. Um, later on so i would be interested to hear why you know what the good reasoning was so let's get down to the deadbolt test tell me what you think about this case and where you stand on the deadbolt test yeah so for me i think this is gonna be about a seven um i think it's gonna be a seven just because of the fact that i am married you know what i mean and i don't think that my wife would ever contemplate anything like what happened in this case But I'm sure that Kelsey never contemplated anything like this ever happening, right? And so it's that idea that, like, the person that you go to bed with, the person that, you know, you wake up with in the morning, the person who's making your coffee could potentially be the person who takes your life. Like I said, I'm not worried about it in this house. If I just disappear one day, you know, maybe ask some questions. But It was Mrs. Bradley Cooper. (laughs) It was Mrs. Bradley Cooper, for sure. She was like, I've had enough of this house. Um But yeah, for me, I would put it as a seven. And I would also put it out there if you are a woman or a man and you are in some kind of domestic violence relationship, please reach out, get help. There is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can call that. It is 800-799-7233. We'll drop it in the show notes just so that way you have it. But, you know, if you are in one of those situations, reach out and get help before it's too late, you know, and we don't know what possibly led up what potential acts of violence there could have been before Kelsey was murdered, you know? So I hope that there is nobody listening who is going through that situation. But if you are, just know that there is help out there. 
utilize that phone number. But for me, because there is that monster under the surface and, you know, they weren't married, but they were engaged and had a child, I can relate to that. So I would, I would put this at a seven. Thanks for uh, giving the hotline information. You know, I think that it's important that as we do this podcast, we provide a safe space and resources for our listeners because we never know what people are going through. And we always talk about how we relate to these cases at the end of them. And, you know, I it makes me sick to my stomach that to know that someone you love and trust with your whole heart, someone you had a child with, could take your life. It It's disgusting. And I feel like I use that term a lot, but honestly, the betrayal is so much that I, I just can't even imagine. And then to know like if this little girl has to be raised knowing that her dad killed her mother, like how does that play in psychologically? You know, I just don't, there's just so much that is going to happen in the course of this little girl's life because her dad decided to murder her mother. Um, And ultimately, I feel sorry for Kelsey's family and little Kaylee, who has to grow up basically without both of her parents. I'm going to put this about a seven myself. I think, you know, it mentioned that she met him online. They moved across country. I was in a similar situation. I dated someone that I knew for a short time, and I moved far away for that person. And you know, there was times that like my family didn't know every little detail what was happening in my relationship. And can you imagine that if something would have happened, your family's trusting this person with their family member and to know that they could be at their granddaughter's first birthday party or Christmas or Thanksgiving, you know, all these things. And this whole time, this person just wants to kill your daughter like that just it's unsettling. And it makes me as a person who's single just to be like, okay, this is reassurance as to why it's okay for me to be alone. You just don't know who you can trust anymore. Yeah. It comes down to the idea that like you don't ever really know somebody, you know, you know them as best you can, but you just got to trust that there isn't something crazy going on under the surface. So this one, this one shook me, you know what I mean? And and that's a big hitter too, is like how that little girl is going to grow up. You know, that that's a hard pill to swallow and to think about. So I also think about the red flags that were missed, you know, like what red flags did she see before? And I think you mentioned that earlier, but like what happened in their relationship before that maybe she just threw under the rug? Because, you know, there's a lot of times if you look back on all of our past relationships, that's like, oh, that was a red flag. I should have followed my intuition on that. And so there just had to be more to their relationship that we just don't know about. I dated a girl who threw a frozen can of unopened Red Bull at me, at my face, and luckily missed. But we dated for like another year and a half after that. (laughs) There's your red flag. Red flags, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is where we fall on the deadbolt test for this week's episode. But we want to know, where does the murder of Kelsey Barrett fall on your deadbolt test? Are you at a 7 like Olivia and I? Are you at a 5? Are you at a 10? We want to hear from you. How did this case sit with you after covering all the details? Reach out. Let us know. You can find us on Instagram. We're at Check the Locks Pod. You can find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And please, please, please join our Facebook group. We have over 420 members now, Olivia. We're growing. The community is absolutely wonderful. People are amazing in this group, and they're so nice to each other. It's it's awesome. It's awesome to be on a section of the internet where people are just like, hey, thank you for coming to hang out with us. It is awesome. So make sure you're reaching out and letting us know. 
Olivia, that was a really heavy case. I think I need a palate cleanser. I think we should read a five-star review. What do you think? I love reading the five-star reviews. I say that every single time, and I'm going to continue until we're done doing this podcast. Because you love it. Because I love it. This week's five-star review comes from PCAS. This is my go-to every morning to catch up. Now I'm all caught up and have to wait until next week for the next episode. This is my favorite podcast right now. You're killing it. Thank you, PCAS, for reaching out to us and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Yes, thank you, PCAS, for taking the time to leave us those kind words and a five-star review. We are at 88 reviews. We are 12 short of 100. So if you have not gone and left us a review, please do so. Those reviews help us get out in front of more people. It puts us in suggestions on Apple Podcasts so more people find the show. And it just means so much if you do take the time to do that. Olivia, if someone wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? Jump on over to the Apple Podcast app, click on our homepage of Check the Locks Podcast, scroll down where you see all five stars, click all five, and write us a five-star review and tell us what you think. That's right. Head over to Apple Podcasts, click those five stars, write us a review, and PCAST for your review. We would love to send you some gifts. We've got magnets. We've got buttons. We actually have new magnets and new button designs coming in, so we would love to send you something cool. Again, hit us up on the socials. You can find us Instagram, Check the Locks Pod. Twitter at Check the Locks or join our Facebook group. And listen, if you are not a social person, head over to CheckTheLocksPod.com. Click that email button. Send us an email. Let us know where to send your stuff. That is it. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this week. Join us next week as we dive into another terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to Check the Locks. See you next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co